0: Amen. Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. Welcome, everybody. So glad you're here. Our passage of focus today is John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21, 16 to 21. And it's a really short but powerful message of hope I'd love for you to experience it with. We're going to have it on the screen, but if you have your Bibles with you, great. If you want to open it up to John chapter 6, again, looking at verses 16 through 21. What we like to do is stand out of respect for God's Word, so if you just please stand for me we encounter this word together, John chapter 6, 16 to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land towards which they were going. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. break and uh, it's a ghost town around here and so I was anticipating this you you consider yourselves the holy remnant who are still here so thank you for being here today Uh, we were treated with some really great scones and so hopefully that was one encouragement to get you in and help you feel refreshed Uh, we are in a series and it's called signs and wonders and what we've been doing is exploring some really extraordinary stories in the gospel of John many of them are noted in the scriptures as this was a sign And so we've been looking at these things, all of this, of course, building us up to the great sign where Jesus is taken in passion to the cross and then Resurrection Sunday, which we talked about is Holy Week coming up. But again, this particular story that we just read, which was Jesus uh, walking on the water, it's maybe a little less uh, a, a sign and more wonder. Maybe it's more a wonder because it certainly stirs up a lot of questions in our mind that we might wonder as we consider that story, you know, how did Jesus walk on the water? How did he do that? We might wonder why in his walking on top of the water in the storm and they were out there, why did it seem like he intended to pass them by? He didn't even get in the boat. We might wonder, what are we supposed to do with this kind of story? And I want to explore these questions with you. As always, the best way for us to Find the the means in which the the word impresses on our heart. The way that we get God's word to press on our heart, we read it, we consider it, and we pray. So I'm going to pray now as we start, and then we'll pray one more time at the close of this. Again, we really want this to stick to our heart. so let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. We thank you, Lord, for these ancient words which were penned so long ago by faithful servants who were Listen, literally hearing the whispers of the Holy Spirit, calling them to record these stories. And for the many centuries, believers all over the world have gathered around these same words and been stirred to wonder, who are you and what are you doing? And how do we live for you more deeply? Father, would you begin to answer those questions in our hearts today as we consider your word. and We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, with any story, especially in a story like this in the Gospels, it's important to know the context. Where are we at in the story? And we did last week, we talked about the feeding of 5,000 men, which Lars led. And he actually talked about it was probably closer to like 10, maybe 12, or even 14,000 total, because it said it was 5,000 men. And you've got to presume where there's men, there's women, children. So it was actually quite a few people. Uh, next slide. And so what we have is this idea that he was, had just fed them all-you-can-eat buffet because the word said that actually they ate till they were filled, which is not common in that era. They didn't have all-you-can-eat buffets. They didn't have refills. So to eat was a good thing, but to eat until you're full, that was a rare experience. And all of these people, like I said, up to 14,000, all ate till they were filled. And now let's imagine this. We started this series talking about the sign of the, the wine, the water turning into wine at Cana. You remember that? And when they drank the wine, what did they say? Ah, oh, this was the best wine. He saved the best wine. Is that true about the bread, too, and the fish? Was it not only enough for them to get filled, but was it also the most amazing bread they've ever tasted? Maybe it had a little salt crust on it or like cinnamon chips. Or was the fish especially tasty that day? It might have been. All we know is they ate till they were filled and satisfied, which was, again, very rare experience in those days. And because of that, and Jesus showing other signs and miracles, it says right before the story we just read, Jesus realized with these 14 plus thousand people staring at him, full bellies and eager hearts, he realized that the people were about to come and take him by force and make him be their king. And because of that, he withdrew up the mountain to pray and be by himself. He needed to get some context, spend some time in the Lord, and then he sent the disciples on across the sea. So he had just fed them, and these people were looking at him with hungry eyes still because, like, wait, this guy can give us food. And he can he can uh, seem to release people of diseases and afflictions, and, and uh, he does other cool things that we maybe don't even have recorded. He could protect us too, right? So... Let's grab him quick and make him our king. And then Jesus goes up the mountain. And he does this because he's not trying to be anointed king, especially a king that's just there to do miracles and favors for them. We can tend to think of God and Jesus that way. And he knows that's the tension, that we kind of follow him for what we can get. And he doesn't want him to live on the bread and the endless fish. He wants them to follow him to ultimately where he's going. The signs that he was doing wasn't the whole point. It was the destination, greater place, kingdom of heaven, peace with God through grace, which he was going to render later. Now, I was having a conversation with a new believer this week that was reminding me of this, and we were talking about how before he knew Christ, he would do these prayers that were like, and I described them as, God, if you're there, prayers. And I said, you know, I've done those too. Hey, God, if you're there, can you send me this amount of money? Or God, if you're there, can you help me with this test? Or God, if you're there, can you help me with this, this challenge I've got? God, if you're there, can you help me with this, this injury or I need this sickness or this healing or someone I loved? God, if you're there. That's not a bad place to start. We're definitely seeking God, but if that's all we're looking for is God the blessing God the favors, God the miracles, then that's really not what God's about. It's just here to give kind of miracles. That's why Jesus quickly got up the mountain. He was like, look, don't just follow me because you want the bread and the fish. There's more going on there. So he goes up the mountain to pray. Jesus once said, and he read this from Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, verse 6, which is way deep in the Old, Old Testament. Uh, it was a story of Moses, and he was referencing the time of testing of God's people where they were living off special bread that was appearing to them every morning called manna. So literally they had no food, but God would deliver special food kind of miraculously out of the, in the morning, and they would get to pick it up and eat it, but it only lasted the one day, and that's what they were living on, except for the Sabbath day when the bread, weirdly, would last two days. So they were living off this manna literally, but Moses said, inspired by the Lord, he said, you know, one does not live by bread alone. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't just live for God for the special bread that you seem to be getting every morning that's feeding you and sustaining you. One does not live by bread alone. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word. And when he says every word, let's include every promise. Let's include every commandment by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how one truly lives. And Jesus knew that. He didn't want them to follow him and anoint him king just because he was the bread and fish guy. Ooh, and I heard he makes really great wine to go with it too. No, so he left them, went up the mountain to pray, sent the disciples on. We've got to go deliver this message on to the next. And then the story continues. The story that we heard is a story of hope, It's a story of hope, and I'm going to unpack it for you so we can see the hope that's in it for us even today. It's a story of hope because it shows us what it is to trust in Jesus even through the storms that may come into our lives. Even during those long seasons when we're needing to see a sign or maybe get a blessing or receive that miracle, and there's that long space of waiting in between that. But this is a story not of God ignoring us and leaving us in those spaces. This is a story of hope. That will demonstrate to us that no matter what season we're enduring, no matter what trial we're in, God is still with us. He's with us even in the waiting, in between the signs. Now, speaking of signs, one of my wife's other significant talents, besides cinnamon chip scones, which are amazing, there may still be a few left. Whatever you don't take, I will take home. She actually makes really cool signs. She loved, she's a kindergarten teacher, so she's always making handwritten signs. There's a restaurant in Western Springs that has her special signs up as their menu. But one day, she made a very, very special sign. This was the, uh, the, the summer of uh, 2014, and it was a lazy day. We had nothing planned. If the kids got all their housework done, we might be able to have time to go to a pool. It was one of those kind of days. But that evening, a friend called, and he was running a corporate retreat at Disney World, and he had you know, a bunch of his employees and their families scheduled to come to Disney World, and one family couldn't make it. They had uh, some visa problems or something, couldn't make the journey. So he called, and he's like, hey, I've got hotel rooms, passes, everything you guys need. How soon can you get here with five kids? Now, we can basically get there now. So we started packing the kids that night without them knowing, And they went to bed that night, and we finished packing through the evening, and she painted the sign just as we announced it to them. And we woke them up in the morning with the greatest news you could ever hear if you're a little kid. Hey, guys, wake up. We're going to Disney World. When? Right now. Get in the car. Like, now we're driving to Disney World. And so we did. It was really special. Now, the the idea that Disney World is not close. At the time, we lived in Austin, Texas. We were still there. We hit the road, we packed everything up quickly, left super, super early in the morning, drove from Austin, Texas to Orlando with five kids in our minivan. We love a road trip. It's okay. But that's 1,100 miles of smiles, 1,100. And we need to get there fast because, you know, that's like it already started. We were already behind the hours, right? So every hour is going to be precious. So, you know, if you've ever taken a road trip or every kind of journey like this, especially with little kids, what do you do to stay motivated? You look for the signs. So on the journey there, on the highways, we kept going. We we're looking for the signs. Hey, look, it says New Orleans, 286 miles. Hey, look at that. Next, it says Florida's coming up. Florida, 300 miles. And we just kept going and like, calling off. The, and every sign we got you like, look, there's another one. They'd get excited. And then finally, we got to the Florida border. Hey, look, we made it to Florida. But it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes, we're making it. Then we start to see the signs. It's like, Orlando, you know, 250-something miles. Then a little secret that my kids don't know at this, to this day, they're about to find out. We're driving closer to Orlando, and we start seeing signs for Legoland. I didn't have tickets for Legoland. We didn't have time to go to Legoland. So in, the sign was on the left side, I remember for sure. I was like, look at the right. Look over there. <laughs> don't look over there. Look at that, because they were really into Leg- Legos at the time. I knew if they saw it, they'd be like, hey, we want to go to, nope. Look over that side. Look, Arby's. Look, there it is. Every sign, though, we saw gave us more and more excitement, more incentive, more joy. And then finally, after driving for 19 hours straight, we made it. The greatest sign of them all, that archway. And I just remember the screams as we drove to it. We saw it. Walt Disney World, where dreams come true. Oh, and they just shouted and screamed. And I was like, I hope I get a nap before we go to these parks, right? We were so excited to see that entrance sign. And so we took a picture of the sign, got back in the van, and went straight back home. No. (laughs) There you go. No. No, that wasn't the point. We went in, of course, and had the greatest week of Guevara history. We had an awesome time. Uh, everybody got to meet their favorite character. We had the Mickey ears. We had all the rides. We had so much fun. It really, it's almost hard to look at because it's it's so, it was such an amazing experience because they were just at that perfect age to have such a great time. And, yeah, I put on the Mickey ears. It was really, 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 really fun. The, the point is it was super exciting on the journey. To see the signs on the road, and of course, to see that big welcome sign telling us we made it, we made it, we made it. But we always knew, I always knew that the signs, the mile markers, the welcome to Florida, the Legoland signs, all of that was really great. It kept us encouraged, but that wasn't the destination. The signs weren't the destination. The destination was someplace greater that we needed to get to. And I find that it's the same with Jesus. The signs are important. They do. They help us stay motivated. They help us celebrate those markers, right? But that's not the whole point. The signs aren't the point. The destination is the point. And Jesus knows that. Back to his story. The signs, the miracles, the healings, the answered prayers, the blessings, that's not the destination. That's not the stuff he wanted them to park at. That's not the stuff he wanted them to live for. Those were the signs that were pointing to something greater than, Ahead, the eternal kingdom of God, peace with God, rendered through the grace given to us in Jesus Christ. Just like the manna that was there kind of soured after a day, Jesus knew that we needed the signs to encourage us to keep moving. But ultimately, the greater destination lie ahead. So we're back to Jesus, walking on the water. Pretty amazing, stormy night, and there he is, choppy water, and he's walking on top of the water. Pretty amazing. Now, this is the same Jesus, by the way, who had done the miracle of turning the water to wine, healing the royal official's son. He healed the lame man at Bethsaida. He is the same one who fed that 14,000 plus people with just a few loaves and some scraggly fish. And now he's there and he's walking on top of the storm waves near the boat. And they were terrified when they saw him. It was dark. How did he do it? You might still be wondering. How did Jesus walk on top of the water? Now, last week when we were talking about the bread and and, and fish miracle, uh, Lars talked about some pretty bad lip reading, pretty bad interpretations that he had seen of those sermons, of how he did it, that was outside the mystical, right? I've heard the same on this. I've I've heard, uh, not necessarily in church, but maybe about some churches that have talked about this this way. And they might say, this is a really, really bad interpretation that actually Jesus was walking on a sandbar, that there was just a low water mark somewhere near the shoreline, and when they saw him walking on the water, he actually wasn't on the water. He was just walking through the, through the you know, shallow part of the water uh, you know, near the boat. That's not true. Uh, they've looked at that, and there's no way, given the context of the story and the topography, there's no way there's a sandbar there that he's walking on. I, I watched a little report that talked about it was probably ice. He might have been walking on the ice flows. Kind of like you walk across a lake that's kind of un, you know, thawing out. He's probably just walking along the ice flows. He just knew where to step. No, that doesn't make any sense either, given the time of year. But more importantly, why do we want to do this? Why do we want to go through this exercise of trying to pull him down to our level? that must be sand or it must be ice. He wasn't really walking on top of the storm waves, was he? We always have that tendency to want to bring him down to our level rather than stretch ourselves up in faith. And who he really is. So how did he do it? How did he walk on top of the waves? I'll tell you. It was out of his divine nature. It was out of his divine nature that he was revealing to the world at that time that he was both fully God and fully human. And he had mastery over the winds and the waves. If you were here with us uh, right before... Christmas, you know, that Advent season, we spent time looking at Colossians chapter 1, which is a hymn of Christ written very, very early, probably one of the earliest statements about who Jesus was written and celebrated by the early church. And it says this about him. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven And on earth, the things that we can see, the visible and the invisible, all things, were created through him, Jesus, and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together, even sloppy, rough waves. So Jesus was showing us that divine nature by walking confidently across the raging waters. he's fully God and fully human. There are some times that, again, people will say, well, I don't, he never really said that, did he? He never really said he was God. What else do you want? <laughs> he's walking on top of the water. And they saw him, and they were terrified. Second question you might wonder, well, why was he passing them by? Remember it says in the middle of the storm, they've been rowing, they're about three or four miles out, the wind is in their faces, they're getting tired, It's night. And then it seemed like he was walking on the water. They were terrified. But it looked like he was walking past them. Why was he doing that? Why, why would he wonder? Why would he pass them by? Maybe you've wondered that. Now I'll tell you why. Because he knew they were going to be okay. He, kn- he knew they were fine. It was likely the spring season, like now. And as we know from, you know, looking at our weather reports, it can be up or down any day. It can be cold or it can be nice. It's like that there too. It's the spring season. You know, I've not been to the Holy Lands. Disney World, yet, but I haven't been in the Holy Lands yet. I'm, I'm working on it. I'd like to. I'm sure I will sometime soon. But I did take some time to do some background commentary, topography, look at meteorology reports and stuff of the day. Now, the Sea of Galilee, if you don't know, it's roughly about 600 feet below sea level. It's it's deep. It's deepest part, uh, deepest sea in the in the Earth. It's 600 feet below sea level and very steep, cup-like, kind of bowl shape. The mountains tower around it. They're very steep and sheer. So in in this time of year, if it's a particularly warm day and then it cools quickly when the sun sets, that cold air rushes quickly down those mountain slopes and starts to churn the water up really quick. It shakes it up very quickly because it's running down the hills into that depression. It'll start to churn those waters up really fast. It can happen very quickly. And so that seems to be what's happening there. The water's churned up, and then we know from their destination the disciples were heading west And they had been paddling for several hours, three to four miles, but the wind was steep steep in their faces. And so they're rowing, and they're probably not even getting very far very quickly. And they're having a hard time. And then Jesus is there walking on top of the water, but he seems like he's going to walk past them. Why? Because they weren't in any grave danger. The text doesn't indicate. There's other stories where the disciples are in a storm, and it looks like they're going to die, and they're scared. This is not one of them. There doesn't see any, any hint there that they're going to be in any peril. They were just getting worn out. So Jesus walking by them seems to be saying to them some form of assurance. You're going to be okay. I know you're going to make it. In fact, they even invite him into the boat. Aren't you tired? No, I'm good. And I'll get to the end in a second. But why did he walk by them? To demonstrate assurance. That he's always nearby, by the way. He's always nearby. But also he was helping develop their trust in him and in themselves that they will remain in him no matter what storms may come. Nothing was ever going to separate them from the love of God in Christ. Not even a bad storm. Now keep in mind that when he when they saw him and they were terrified, he didn't just like blow by them, see ya. He came near and he said one phrase that they'll never forget because they wrote it down. He said, It is I. Do not be afraid. Again, there's that message of assurance. It's I. I'm here. I am. Don't be afraid. Now, in the original language, that first part of it, it is I, is ego me, which is a very powerful short little phrase, I am, which in the scriptures connects back to those major pronouncements of God's presence throughout the Old Testament and, 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 uh, and new. So in saying, I am, Jesus was uniquely identifying himself as one with God, who led him through the wilderness many times and opened the sea uh, even back in the Old Testament. I, I am with God. I am. In the encouragement not to be afraid, again, there's an ins- assurance there of their call and their purpose. Don't be afraid. This isn't how you die. I'm so glad that you obeyed and you're out in the water. It's tough, but this isn't how you go down. That'd be a weird story if right in the middle of it, the disciples drowned and were never seen again. You're going to be okay. Don't be afraid. This isn't how you die. But thank you for being out in the water. It is I, don't be afraid, also demonstrates that God was with them. I am. Don't be afraid. Because if God is with you, then who could ever stand against them? God is with them. What's ever going to stand against them? So you might still be wondering, what do we do with this story? What do we do with this story? Now, remember what I said at the beginning. This is a story of hope. It's a story of hope. And you notice that right at the end, very end, tucked in there very quickly after he says, it is I, don't be afraid. They said they invited him into the boat. He didn't get in. But immediately it says they reached the other side. Was that supernaturally medial? Like, was it like they went through a quick time warp and suddenly they were at the shore and it was like, whoa. It doesn't really suggest that. That, that it was like a miracle they finished the journey. It just means when you fix your eyes on Jesus, then suddenly the trials and the storms of the life act, storms of life actually seemed to dissipate very quickly. and it felt like immediately they were just there and they were safe. S- they, they were they were good. Now we may go through our own storms. We may go through our own seasons of testing. We may have to endure times when the wind is in our faces. We may have to endure through seasons where we feel weak. We may have to endure through times where we wonder is all of this real? God, are you really there? Am I going to make it? We may have to sustain by faith through those long stretches of road where it feels like we haven't seen a sign in a while. And we need one. But here's the thing God still sends signs. We're going to pray for those in just a moment. But if you wonder, what are we supposed to do with this story? I want you to remember Jesus is always near. He's always near. And He's always for you. And He's always for us. But we have to remember the signs the wonders, the blessings, the miracles, that's that's not the point. They're there, they'll guide you, but th- that's not the destination. The signs and the wonders and the blessings and the miracles point us to some greater kingdom that he has for us, where his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And my friends, faithful remnant today, we're going to make it. We're going to make it if we stay together. We're going to make it if we stay together and we stay in his word. Can't live on the bread. Can't live on the blessings. Can't live on the miracles. Can't live on the signs. But if we stay in his word, every word that comes from his mouth, every promise, every blessing, every commandment, we're going to make it and it's going to be amazing. Remember I told you the best way to get God's word to cement in your heart after you read it is to pray. It's good to pray before you read it. It's good to pray afterwards. So I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Then we're going to respond in worship. A prayer that reflects what we learn today. As we thank him for who he is and what, he's, what, what, what we need him to do. And even to ask him to help us trust in him. So let's spend some time in prayer right now. As we say, Lord Jesus, thank you. And maybe if those are the only words that you can muster in your head and heart right now, that's a good place to start. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are Creator, Sustainer, King, Lord, Savior, Redeemer, Friend. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, for all that you give. We deserve nothing. And yet we can open our eyes and we can see a new day. We can sit next to people we love. We can breathe. We can think. We have blood surging through our veins. You gave it to us. You hold all things together. And Lord Jesus, we thank you thank you for where you are seated at the right hand of the father arm outstretched calling us to stay close to you knowing that you're always near Lord Jesus we thank you and Lord we need you there are times that we need you we need the signs we need the blessings we need the miracles we need the wonders Lord we need you We need you when the relationships go sour. We need you when the storms are thick in our heads. We need you when the feelings of insecurity come flooding in. We need you when it feels like we're alone, even in a crowded room. We need you when it feels like our one shot at significance is slipping away. We need you when we can't sort out our own feelings. We need you when our body rebels against us and breaks down. We need you when longtime friends or family members betray us or let us down. We need you when we feel misunderstood. We need you when we feel laughed at by those who are impressive. We need you when all the brokenness of the world is closing over us and and making us want to throw in the towel. God, we need you to bring peace to our world. We need to know that the innocent are safe in areas of war like Ukraine. We need you to bring peace and unity to our country and our community our neighborhood. We need you to continue to press on us your call, not to stay in the shallows, but to get in the boat, and no matter the cost, continue the journey. Lord, we need you to give us a sign, a blessing, a miracle. If there's anything in your heart right now that you need just to say, Lord, I need you for, just say it right now, Lord, I need you. sign and Lord Jesus we trust you because you know what testing feels like we trust you that you're always close we trust in those words of assurance it is I do not be afraid we trust that you're going to lead us through We trust that you're always near to protect us and to guide us. And we trust you for our eternal hope, a kingdom greater than any that have ever been made that will last forever. And Lord, we trust that you are with us always to the end of the age. And if that delights our hearts, then let us stand together in worship to our God and Savior.